Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Kristen Van Uden, your host and editor. Today is Friday, March 24th, and today I'm honored to be joined by Bill Donahue. He is a Catholic author, activist, most recently author of War on Virtue by Sophia Institute Press and president of the Catholic League. Bill, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So I know many of our listeners are probably quite familiar with your work and have been for probably decades, but if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick background on your work, your academic work, and also what is the Catholic League and what has their legacy been? Sure. I got my PhD in sociology from New York University after a stint in the United States Air Force during the Vietnam War period. Uh, I've taught in Spanish Harlem, uh, Black and Puerto Rican kids, one of the greatest experiences of my life. I've taught every grade from the second grade to newly minted PhDs from around the world uh, at NYU, the multicultural center there. Uh, I, the Catholic League is the nation's largest Catholic civil rights organization. We defend the rights of individual Catholics and the institutional church uh, to participate in American society without discrimination or defamation. That's great. And it seems that the Catholic League's uh, recent work has been focusing on Disney, right? I recently watched your documentary, Walt's Disenchanted Kingdom. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I'm, I am so happy you mentioned it, and you don't know you don't, you don't know really, I guess, what, what happened. We just learned. I just put out a statement. This is all brand new. We won Best Documentary oh, that's at great. the Los Angeles International Film Festival out there in Hollywood. We also won uh, the Best uh, Sound Design, Best Editing, and we also uh, won for the best trailer or an honorable mention there. We won, we were nominated for six categories and I was elated over that. Now I'm over the moon that we that we actually won the top prize. We, we're one of 22 countries, the United States. So with there there people from all around the world uh, competing there. And the fact that we won at the Los Angeles Film Festival, best documentary and, and the others, four out of six categories we're nominated for, uh, I am just ecstatic. That's amazing. It's also kind of quite shocking, right? That right in the heart of Hollywood, which is not known for its virtue. <laughs> no, I know. I, 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 you know. You know, I guess there are some people who are objective. You may not agree with us. We're basically trying to say that Disney is not the family-friendly institution it once was. And it's a 50-minute uh, documentary with some st uh, a star-studded cast. But I think they realize the quality of the production. Jason Meath did the production. Uh, I think they realized that you just can't ignore it. So I, I commend the, the film festival uh, for, for at least putting aside their politics because we were competing against some left wing kind of uh, film. So I guess they, they looked at the excellence of it. And, and that's that's what got us the awards. That's great. Well, on the topic of the film industry, I know this is an area in which the Catholic League has done a lot of work over the years, and especially these assessments of particular films or the industry as a whole to warn Catholic families, American families who are just out there looking for wholesome content for their family, what to avoid and what these subliminal messages are that are being just just poisoned in our in our media. And one aspect of the book that I found really interesting is how you discuss how this this poisoning of these these depraved ideologies throughout Hollywood is not by accident, right? It's a top-down maneuver and there are special interests at work who have a vested interest in making this happen. Can you speak a little to that? Yes, uh, in fact, that reminds me of something I wrote in the book. A number of years ago, uh, I was asked to go out to Hollywood 
to, to do DreamWorks uh, and and uh, be uh, an advisor to one of their movies. It was an animated uh, uh, story of the Old Testament, uh, The Prince of Egypt. And I told them I had no problem with it whatsoever. They were concerned because uh, we do have some clout here at the Catholic League, and they didn't want to be on the bad side of us with the rollout of the movie. Now, while I was out there, that was Jeffrey Katzenberg. I have to say he was very gracious to me. While I was out there, David Horowitz, uh, the famous radical turned conservative, he's one of the people who's endorsed my book, The Vir War of Virtue. He said, listen, Bill, now that you're out there in Hollywood, uh, I'm having a huge conference going on uh, with Hollywood uh, directors and actors and producers, all the big people. Would you come? I'd like you to speak. So I said, fine, sure, I'm out there. Why not double up? And I did. I walked into this enormous room. There were, I don't know, thousands of people uh, of Hollywood uh, notables, a lot of VIPs. And they did give me a chance to speak. I was up on a stage. And uh, when I got there, I said, uh, you know, I've been listening to you people all morning long. And you're all <laughs> a bunch of phonies. With absolute dead silence. I said, let me be explicit. You kept saying that the movies that you make, you don't allow your kids to watch them. Your kids only watch Nickelodeon. So the, the movies you're making for children are not for your children, not suitable for your kids. Just who whose kids are they suitable for? And again, dead silence. There was a guy from uh, some American Jewish uh, organization, nice man sitting next to me, and he whispered to me, they're going to have to have some extra security <laughs> to escort you out of here. Uh, actually, uh, I, after that was over, some people came up to me and said, you know what? You're right. Uh, so I, they, they, they weren't uh, getting it. There was no vitriol. But it does go to show uh, the hypocrisy, doesn't it? I yes, mean, if yes. you're going to make uh, children's fair, then it should be fair that it, begin with your own children. Right now, we have the, we have the, we have the whole spectacle of TikTok. The CEO says, we don't show TikTok movies that we show in the United States to our own children, and they won't allow them in communist China. So you see all kinds of examples of this where they want to poison the mind of some young people, but not their own kids. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And you refer to that in the book as this phenomenon of talk left, live right. Right. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that comes out, out, out of France, actually, because okay. they always like to talk left, but then they live conservative <laughs> lives. Yes, and it, it's so interesting when you look at the personal choices of this elite ruling class and how they'll never tell you, but they really do exemplify these certain virtues, which you use as this through line throughout your book of what you call bourgeois values or the vital virtues. Even though they preach a completely different thing, this is still the recipe to their success in a way. Right. And those vital virtues, because I studied, you know, why do people do well and other people don't do well? If you have the vital virtues, it doesn't guarantee you'll be a success, but I can guarantee you one thing. If you don't have them, you can't be a success. I don't care whether you're a piano player, an athlete, or a dentist, whatever, whatever it is. Those three virtues are perseverance, self-discipline, and personal responsibility. And I looked at certain individuals who have succeeded, but more importantly, four different demographic groups. The, 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 the most successful people in America is judged by education and income are Jews, Asians, Nigerians, and Mormons. Now, what's interesting about Mormons and Asians is that they're people of color. Now, all we ever hear from the ruling class is that people of color can't succeed. <laughs> I just named two of the four 
were are people of color. That's it's not racism and discrimination that is holding back blacks, for example, though some of it exists. What's what's holding them back is the lack of the inculcation of the vital virtues. When they have it, they do extremely well. I taught black kids all my life as in college and, and in elementary school. If you demand from these kids like you would from white kids, in other words, treat them as equals, they will perform, believe me. The problem is the disabled family where seven out of 10 kids are coming, are come from a, a one-parent family. That is the problem and that has to be rectified. But the, the real point of the book here is that the ruling class, which is mostly white and well-educated and wealthy, they have basically given up on black people. Instead of demanding from them the way you would from your own kids and everybody else and keep the bar high and then work with them, they're basically saying you can't compete, you can't embrace the vital virtues, so we're gonna do everything for you. That is the ultimate form of white racism. And it, it, the interesting phenomenon that you refer to in the book from the field of sociology, I forget the name of the scholar, but victimology, right? And you discuss, it's almost as if these vital virtues used to be a given. They used to be assumed in society. You talk about how the founders possessed them. And, you know, as I think Thomas Jefferson said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. So we operate knowing that we are a fallen race of human beings who are affected by sin, but who also work towards virtue because we have been redeemed. And so the the pursuit of virtue used to be something that was totally just the baseline of society. But instead, that seems to be flipped on its head today. It's true. And I'm glad you mentioned victimology. A number of Black authors have done the best work on this. William Raspberry, he's passed away, Washington Post writer, John McWhorter, Shelby Steele. There's no end to them. And what they're saying, in essence, is this. If you consider yourself to be a victim, you're basically impotent. You're basically saying, I can't do anything to better myself. The Nigerians who come to this country say, listen, we're black like you're, you're blacks in this country, but we don't have a victim mentality and we can succeed. And we reject the idea that because we're black that therefore we can't succeed. And I've seen that with African-Americans in this country. If we only enable them to to, to have the, and possess and exercise the vital virtues. But again, the ruling class basically says, no, you can't compete with us. So we're gonna have quotas. We're gonna put a cap on, on, on what other people can do. We're gonna, we're gonna force equality. You can't force equality. Equality has to be achieved. And the way you achieve it is, is to come from strong intact families like Jews, Asians, Mormons, and Nigerians, and then have those vital virtues of personal responsibility, self-discipline, and perseverance. And once you do, you'll wind up like Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and Tom Seaver. I gave as three examples. I mean, uh, it, it can be done. Martin Luther King understood it. God bless him. Yeah, I found it a very interesting way of reshaping or reframing the problem. It's it's that it's really sabotage disguised as sympathy, where it's right. not the true charity. Oh, that, that's a great way to put it. It is sabotage, disguised as, as sympathy. Uh, and I just can't stand the hypocrisy. You know, the people who are on the left today, and, and the left has made major inroads in the establishment with the military, in the healthcare industry, uh, in, the, in the Fortune 500, places where they never did before. They usually were confined to uh, education and the artistic community, the media and entertainment industry. But they're the ones now who... They love to say that we're against racism. They are they are the penultimate expression of it because while they won't come right out and say it, just read what they have to say. 
just look at what they do. Look at their policies. They always have to give, they always have to make exceptions for African-Americans. They don't demand of them the way they would of others. And they're also resentful of the success of Asians. The discrimination against race against Asians in this country is unbelievable. At the elite high schools and the elite colleges and universities, Harvard and Yale have been sued several times. Uh, so instead of having people emulate Asians and Jews and Mormons and Nigerians, we, 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 we denigrate them. And, and then we try to stop others, particularly African-Americans and Hispanics, from achieving. I want to draw a connection between this idea of victimology and what has come to be known as wokeism or woke ideology, because it's really interesting to contemplate in terms of the lack of religion and sort of the complete abandonment of the practice of faith in this country and the rise of this other set of ideologies that is all conglomerated under the umbrella of wokeism because it really resembles a religious cult almost complete with rituals, beliefs, taboos, and then punishments for those who have views outside of their, their belief system. So well, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, you, first of all, you did a masterful job of describing it. That's a very accurate depiction. Uh, yeah, there's no question about it. Our country was founded on the Judeo-Christian basis, uh, heritage, the, the Judeo-Christian ethos. Now, what's been going on since the 1960s, and now it's at a fever pitch, it's been challenged by radical secularism. I don't mean just secularism. I mean radical militant secularism. And But, you know, people always are looking for the eternal. They're always looking for the questions, who am I, what am I here for? So if you, you want to reject the Judeo-Christian ideas, because it all comes down to one thing, it all comes down to sexuality. They think that we're too repressive and whatnot. So they celebrate their sexuality and look what happens to them. That's, that's I've written a book on that, comparing Hollywood celebrities to cloistered nuns. Guess who's the happiest? Uh, <laughs> was a number of years ago. But oh yeah, so they're always looking for an ersat or substitute religion. And wokeism, as you put it so nicely, is, does function as a religion for these people because they need something to bond and to hold on to. So you think that we're repressive. Uh, it's insane. So what 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 is freedom? Is freedom the idea that you can do whatever you want? The, the, the ride of the id, as, as, as Freud would have it, the pleasure principle? You know what that winds up with? It winds up with STDs and in the morgue. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's always how the virtues that are espoused by the Catholic faith are proven in the sociological realm to be true, not only in the next life, but even in their effects in this life. And I- I'm glad you bring up Freud, actually, because that reminds me of another Sophia book, a reprint from Father Vincent Michelli, another New Yorker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> from last year, we reprinted his Gods of Atheism. And he discusses that atheism is not really the absence of worship, but it's the worship of idols, right? Mm. Because uh, humans just have this innate desire to worship God. It's built into us. It's our teleological end because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And so when you're not properly ordering that desire, the idols, whether they be money or fame, or now the idols that are provided by this woke movement are going to drive that impulse instead. Absolutely. And uh, on, on top of Michelli, let's also look at Paul Vitz, the former NYU psychologist. He did a study of atheists and he found out there's one thing they all had in common. Every one of them, I'm talking about the famous atheists now in history. Uh, what they all had in common, they had a certain animus or hostility against their father. Mm-hmm. They were always rebelling against their father. 
and they found a need to have something that they could believe in and that they, they could uh, actually uh, take them away from the kind of honor you might want to give to your father. And they found themselves searching for something else. It's it. If there's a certain kind of pathology involved here, I'm not saying with all atheists. We're talking here about the militant ones, the activists. That's where the problem is in our society today. And unfortunately, many of the people who are not atheists, many of them are Christian, but who are in elite positions of power in our society have adopted that idea. And no place in this country is there more atheists, proportionately speaking, working per capita than in the Silicon Valley. And they also the most hostile against Christians. So where you see militant atheism, you see an animus against Christians. And Silicon Valley is is riddled with it. 48%, that one out of every two persons who works in Silicon Valley in the tech industry are atheist or agnostic. And many of them have driven Christians out of there. So there's a real problem here. It's not just a matter of, well, I don't believe in anything. No, you, you do believe in something. You believe in wokeism and you have a hostility toward us, and we're going to fight back. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your advice for the average working Catholic American who might be forced into some of these situations at work, because like you mentioned, Silicon Valley is devoted to woke values, but also it really seems to have trickled down to almost every company. You see them with their big Pride Month celebrations that workers are often forced to participate in and, um, you know, team building activities where you're forced to to celebrate things that the Catholic faith teaches are wrong. And oftentimes it's not, if it's a hard, not a hard requirement, there's the social ostracization at work and other more soft cultural effects. So when it seems so widespread, what does the average individual actually have within their power to do? Well, for one thing, they can try to find out, do, are other people at work, some of their coworkers, do they feel the same way? They probably do, but many of them are afraid to say it. So you have to just socialize with people, go out for coffee, for lunch, go out for a beer, have conversations with them. And when you find out enough people who feel the same way you do, you may request a meeting either with your boss or somebody in human resources management and inform them that while you respect what they're doing, they have to respect what your, your conscience tells you and that there is a First Amendment right to freedom of religion and, and central to that is conscience rights. Now, if all that, if that doesn't work, at that point, you may want to consider suing because you can't violate people's First Amendment rights on the job. And there are a number of legal organizations out there that are pretty good and, and, and want to take this. Now, I understand that not everybody wants to be a cultural warrior. So I'm not saying the cowards, the Catholics are cowards. Look, if you've got a, you've got a family to support, and you've got a mortgage and whatnot, you got to do the best you can. So that would be the advice I would give. Okay, well, that's good to know. And then lastly, I wanted to discuss what happens when these attacks on family are seemingly coming from inside the body of the church, because we expect this from the culture at this point. We expect it from Hollywood. We expect it from Capitol, from Silicon Valley. But recently, I know you've probably been following what's going on in Germany with the German Synod, for example, with this blatant violation of Catholic principles and Catholic teachings on these same-sex blessings that they're forcing. So what what is your take on that yeah uh, the, the germans are an embarrassment they 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 really want to protestantize the catholic church let's face it uh that's worked out real well hasn't it nobody goes to church in the mainline protestants have they noticed that 
the only reason the Germans are getting away with this is because they're funded lavishly by the government. Isn't that interesting? They, not, they don't have Catholics going to the churches in Germany anymore, any more than the Protestants do, because they've just basically blended into the dominant society. They get their money from the state, and then they use it to try to undermine Catholicism. The Senate is going to take place the first of, of two this fall. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I believe, as Pope Benedict XVI did, God bless him, that a smaller church is a better church. You know, you either stay in the church on the terms of Jesus, the scriptures, the catechism, the magisterium of the Catholic Church, the Pope in communion with the bishops, or you leave, all right? Don't try to force us to, to abide by your heretical views. Now, you know, on the one hand, you've got the Germans who are so far gone, it's amazing. And on the other hand, you've got the best Orthodox Catholics in the entire world, and they're in Africa. Isn't that interesting? You have Christianity taking root in Europe, but we need to go to Africa to find out where the real Catholicism is. I just hope that people stick to their guns and not bend. Either the Germans get in, on board with us because we're not going to get on board with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well, Bill, thanks so much for joining me today. What's next for you? What have you got upcoming? Uh, I'm actually uh, writing another book, which dovetails with some of the stuff on this. I'll never stop writing. I don't know. Never stop. <laughs> I, I just love it. One movie after another. It just keeps me busy. Good. All right. Well, we'll certainly be following your work. Where can listeners find your work? Oh, yes. Please go to catholicleague.org. One word, catholicleague.org. And you'll see the movie, the Disney movie, which won all these awards now. You can get it for free from us. You can, if, if you like it in better uh, form in Amazon Prime and pay a couple of bucks, you can do it that way. Uh, you get all the information. We have a wealth of information on our website at catholicleague.org. Great. And Bill's book, War on Virtue, which we've been discussing today, is available right at sophiainstitute.com. And that is now available to order, right? It's, it's yes. It's, it, the actual publication date is Tuesday, April the 18th, but you can pre order on Sophia right now or on Amazon. Great. Well, thanks again, Bill. Thank and everyone else, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.